Hi, welcome to Expert Talks. This is episode three of the interview with thought leaders in the analytics, AI, and transformation space. My name is Mahadevan Iyer, Maha for short. I'm your host for today, and I'm the co-founder and CEO intelligent marketplace for on-demand actionable analytics. Our guest for today is Sashwata Kar. Sashwata is the Senior Director and Global Head of Data Analytics and Data Sciences at Philips Global Business Services. Prior to Philips, Sashwata has had an illustrious career at Capital One, HSBC and GE Capital. He is also a forum member of NASCOM's Center of Excellence for IoT and AI. I'm sure aspiring data analysts, data scientists, and students looking to make data analytics as a career profession will learn hugely from Sashwata's practical wisdom, and they will be able to pick inputs about the skills that they need to develop for being successful in this role. So Sashwata, thank you for making time. It's a pleasure having you on Expert Talks. Thank you, Maha. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you. So Sashwata, uh, I went through your profile and you know you did your BSc in economics and statistics and then did your master's in economics, econometrics and corporate finance. Uh, so it's a great combination. So it will be great to understand from you how has economics, which is essentially a macro subject, so to speak, and statistics is a very quantitative subject. How has it helped you in your analytics journey? If you can speak us through that. Sure. Uh... That's uh, definitely a nice question. To be honest, it was a seamless transition, I would say, from uh, economic statistics and analytics. Given 20 plus years before <clears throat> analytics was majorly around statistical modeling, of course, at that point in time, uh, when I introduced myself as a modeler, people used to look at me, okay, what does that mean? But you know, now I think it's it's quite easy nowadays. People call it data science as well. Uh, but from a economic statistics point of view, <clears throat> everything that I studied has definitely uh, helped in having this career in analytics. Whether it is to do with mortgage analytics, where it is about uh, you know mortgage mortgage loans and ensuring what type of uh, models can be built using the you know studies or education that I had on corporate finance. 80% of whatever I had started have actually been used, uh, which is unlike a lot of other streams, I would say, Maha. So, yeah, I mean, it has been quite a good transition, I would say. Excellent. You've been with uh, Philips now for nearly nine years, right? And uh, Philips is one company which is both in consumer product space as well as B2B space, uh, right? So, what are some of the key challenges that you know uh, you find yourself working or or you know philips is working on both in the consumer product space as well as the b2b space and also in the in the context of a global pandemic from which we have all emerged right uh, what is the are there different areas of focus uh, how do they go about it? sure so uh, from a philips perspective it's it's a 130 year old organization and uh, it has gone through many changes from an industry perspective as well. It used to be a conglomerate. Um, now it has transformed into a health technology you know, giant, I would say. Uh, and uh, the biggest um, 
the biggest focus is in R&D and uh, uh, innovation for the company. So in the health technology space, uh, the products that Philips have span across the full uh, cycle of health continuum. That's what it's called. And uh, the starting phase, which is really home care, et cetera, that is where we have more of the consumer space that you just mentioned. So from a story perspective, it's really going across the entire spectrum of health, starting with home care, then treatment, then uh, invasive treatment and non-invasive treatment, and then uh, again back to home care. So that's really the cycle that Philips talks about. Um, so from your question perspective, you know, COVID pandemic and how the company has transformed itself. It's really, of course, we saw the supply chain disruptions which still continue, and that has been singular biggest challenge for the organization. Uh, and on the other side, I think uh, we are coping up well, but yet not there. So from a macro perspective, that has been the biggest challenge uh, for Philips, I would say. In the consumer uh, product space, I mean, obviously understanding about consumer behavior, what they are purchasing and all that is very key. Um, and, uh, you know, unlike a retailer who's got first party data about consumers, their buying habits and all that, a consumer products company is uh, in some sense disintimidated because there is someone through whom it is selling to its end consumers. For that. So I read a blog article of yours where you said that uh, Philips has actually used auxiliary or secondary data like Google mobility trends and possibly market sellout data uh, to have a better understanding of consumers and being able to respond to their changing needs. So can you elaborate on this a little more? Oh, absolutely. Essentially, uh, this is called personal health for us. That's the business unit name. And within personal health, we have a lot of these different uh, businesses like beauty and uh, and other other different uh, business segments that we operate in. There are two parts to it. One is we are one of the biggest sellers, I would say, with Amazons of the world that is there. Uh, of course, some data is shared from them. And we also have direct uh, B2C. So we do have a lot of consumer data as well. So we mine the data regularly within the realms of uh, all the privacy that is needed to really look at all the trends to be ahead of competition. So that is something that is kind of bread and butter for us. We also work with Amazons of the world and Flipkarts of the world to really see where the right segment is going. So that way we have been able to generate really high margins in that business. Uh, the other thing with Philips is mostly the quality for Philips is something that nobody can contest. And hence, even though from a pricing perspective, I think it's a little different in India, uh, but uh, the sales have been quite good and India is one of the, I think it's a growth market for us, including China and some of the other geographies. Got it. So in that space within the, you know, in terms of using Google mobility trends, for example, is there a practical example to talk about saying that, you know, this is how you use it type of stuff to either understand the market potential or decide for a new product. Are there any any practical uh, examples that you can talk about? Oh, we definitely look at again. Uh, of course, I can't share the exact way uh, the team does, but essentially we use that in conjunction with a lot of other data sets, right? And then we will look at 
the parameters that are again possible via again I, I keep on continuing to talk about data privacy etc because that's very important for us so within the realms of what is possible we use the information to get to the right um, insights which are actionable for us for example if there is a movement trend of uh, population within particular segment to different region we will make sure that in those different regions we have further availability in terms of our supply chain as well so all that uh, data is shared amongst all the business units so that we can use it to optimal um, um, optimizing our sales i would say that's a great example now one more point uh, you mentioned and, and that uh, you know uh, resonated well with me was about using rapid analytics uh, you know quick turnaround or rapid analytics to unlock you know value creation opportunities and you know which can essentially help uh, the business you know maintain or develop its competitive edge right you spoke about that so again how do you go about this uh, and I have a follow through question after this, but I want to understand when you say rapid analytics, uh, how do you, what are the approaches to ensure that analytics actually rapid and delivers to business? That's a, that's a good question. That's like giving up the unique selling proposition, but it's okay. <laughs> it can be shared. What is analytics? Analytics is nothing but common sense. And uh, backed by data, which nobody can question. So depending on what type of business problem we are solving, the biggest challenge is to do it within shortest time. And the best quality, the insights of which nobody should be able to question. Now to get to that, few winning, uh, I would say formula will be getting the right domain expert, Right. And most of the times what I've seen is best is to get somebody who is seeped into the problem, get that person or that team, and then marry that with the latest technology, a business analyst from the analytics team who can work in tandem to look at the shortest possible solution by time and quality. And um, I would say the technique that needs to be used. So it is important that the person is very much conversant with the fastest algorithms in Excel as well as fastest algorithms in Python. And the backend team is there to do the work, but there should be a knack to understand whether this can be solved by Excel. If it can be solved by Excel, then do that Excel and solve it. Again, it depends also the quantum or how, what is the size of the problem that we are trying to solve, right? So if the size is not that big, we should not spend a lot of time. So it really depends on what is the expected outcome from the stakeholders as well as alignment of the stakeholders, what they want. If they are aligned, if we are aligned on the outcome, we should look at the shortest possible way to do it. So that is what rapid analytics to me is. And you can always use Lean Six Sigma method as well to get to, I mean, that is also analytics to be honest. So get to the outcome in the shortest possible time with the best quality. That is rapid analytics to me, using whichever technology which works. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So the reason I ask this is that, you know, as I see, there are two ends of the analytics spectrum, so to speak, right? So one is the rapid or quick turnaround analytics, which is essentially companies or businesses have a problem saying my sales is plateauing, not growing, or my conversion rates are poor, customer complaints are increasing, whatever. 
or a competition is come in type of stuff, right? So tell me what do I need to do now, right? Which is which is constrained for time. The business is time poor because they need to respond. And then the other part of the end of the spectrum is you know really investing in uh, deep learning, AI, ML models, and then you know multi-generation type of projects so that they are recommendation models which start working well with delivery systems in the company. Um, from your own experience, uh, how do you see uh, the projects being divided in this? And where do you see a business connect happening a lot more? My overall experience is a rough 50-50 split in that um, in the two spectrum that you are ends of the spectrum that you mentioned. The first part is essential for businesses to survive. The second part is to get 5x, 10x out of what investment is made on analytics. And the second part needs time to get to, right? The problem happened, the first part I, I think is very clear. I mean, we must do it. We have business leaders who are rooting for it. Nobody wants to wait, so let's do the quick and dirty analysis, whatever is required to get to my solution so that I can increase my share. You know, I go through the same uh, you know, descriptive analytics, prescriptive analytics, the continuum that we keep speaking in analytics. But on the other hand, this whole long term uh, projects that you mentioned about. For that, I think and for both, I think. He is. Proper planning and properly thought out expected outcome and very realistic understanding of what do these people need you know these stakeholders or partners or customers or whatever what do they actually need so depending on that we will need to i mean we always decide on which is the right path to go to right if it is a huge problem that we are talking about or a problem that will come in future after 5 years both these cases you have to think long term and think in terms of accuracy so what is the what is the trade off between accuracy rates are you okay with accuracy of 80% then you go for the first part right if you want 100% accuracy because there is no room for 1% uh, error then you go for the second part so multiple parameters at the end of the day it's all it all depends on outcome but my advice to everybody who does it is keep it finite because most of the times you make it uh, more than one year, it doesn't work. So keep it finite. It will be my advice from an analytics point of view. Absolutely. Now, in the GBS, obviously, you know, in terms of intellect, data capability, reasoning, all that, you know, Philips and for that matter, any MNC or any large organization would take care to ensure that the capability is built that way. However, context is something while Philips will have products in India as well, and you know the exposure is likely to be there for even people working in the GBS. Um, international market exposure is limited, right? So how do you uh, how do you ensure that the team which is there working with you also has access to that type of context? So are there any approaches or frameworks uh, that you follow so that they are able to really empathize with what's really happening in the market? and engage with stakeholders at that level. Yeah, so a few things that we always take care of. First of all, you know, Philips, like any other organization, we may sit in uh, Bangalore or uh, Chennai or Gurgaon, 
but we all have world view given the cosmopolitan nature of the cities as well as uh, the number of the sheer number of roles and number of people that we have here most of the roles are global in nature so you will find very less roles which are uh, working with only teams from bangalore for example or from chennai or or gurgaon so uh, that way i think it's quite global from a company perspective i've seen that with other organizations also where i have worked for uh, we do have a lot of r and d facility and factories uh, in india and hence what is strongly encouraged is to have those visits when a person in the first three months of a person joining so that they have a view of what is health technology what are those products about you know a, a, a igt or some device that we uh, build how much complex it can be can only be understood by seeing it so um, and and the complexity that is there in supply chain for each of these uh, giant machines to be built uh can be understood at least a little bit by looking at them so we make it a point that they are part of those visits in india so we are fortunate that we have quite a few factories in india so we keep visiting the other way to do it is we have a lot of uh, virtual uh, tour sessions that we uh, engage with so that is very common for us and uh, we use it uh, very much for our people to be aware of what we are talking about maha in one of your articles you mentioned about uh, you know iot and the importance of uh, iot in terms of you know really understanding uh, data about usage and i think you were referring more to the healthcare production all that so just some examples of you know how iot exhaust data is used for improving customer experience and uh, you know uh, uh, business effectiveness if you can just talk about couple of examples sure 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 and i will talk about industry not really about the company so from an industry perspective iot data is all pervasive now everywhere it is getting used whether it is to do with you know auto sector where if you have these sensors i get to know when what will go wrong and hence uh, repair it or do it do a preventive maintenance uh, predict yeah preventive maintenance will be the right word so all those things are very much common with health technology as well and any other technology so uh, data is there i think the bigger question is which problem to solve so which are the bigger problems how do we solve them uh, data is in abundance all the sensor data all the iot because everything is connected given that everything is connected uh, every organization let's say if there's any other any organization in the health technology space uh, we can always get to know which machine will go down much faster by looking at all the parameters of that and hence uh, give a replacement product much before the dates right and that drives huge customer satisfaction your customers will be very happy hey, you know you know me much better than what i know about myself that's the thing right it's all about knowing customers more than what they know about themselves their vitals of course you know we don't get into that space but eventually at some point in time that will happen right you know people will know about other people very i mean or rather these technology companies will know about people and their parameters just looking at some control chart right and we can predict a lot more about them and do preventive actions take those preventive actions right which is actually quite quite it's a reality now right so there are it's already happening uh, and it is going to accelerate with with where we stand and the type of data that we have uh, maha 
Okay. So uh, with with IoT and all the stuff, you know, the, the rate of uh, data creation or collection, if you will, is obviously exponentially growing, right? The speed of data is actually far higher than the ability to make sense of it and deliver it, right? So companies obviously have a typical conundrum. What should I collect? How much should I collect? Or should I collect when I have the ability to deliver something out of it? So for example, if I were to say, if I make a recommendation of a blue t-shirt to Sashwata, he will buy it. It's a great thing to analyze. But if I don't have the ability to deliver that recommendation to you, uh, right, in my physical store or in a physical uh, marketplace or whatever, uh, or even on the e-commerce marketplace, then that that's just a recommendation. It's it's a good insight to have, but you can't act on it, right? Uh, and so I keep hearing two sides of the argument saying, um, so there's a Marisa Meyer who says that collect all data if you can, and there are people who say collect data what is uh, just about right because otherwise it's both a cost and a risk. Uh, so just your thoughts on that. My view will be in between both the views that you mentioned, right? There's something called recency frequency, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about. I think data that we collect needs to be recent. I will not define recent because then it becomes too much, uh, uh, you know, too, too much micro. Uh, I think recency is important. So recent data is important. Before that, whatever happened, I think we can always summarize and keep it to keep the cost low. And the type of data that we should collect should be centered around the problems that we have seen already. It should be a union of all data sets uh, that will that has helped us in past but at a very granular level so that i can do all the slicing dicing that is needed so typically um, health technology companies have this five to seven year data policy right from a retention perspective though it's a policy but i i like it because that's like recent five seven years data you keep before that you can probably make it summarized because anyway those trends even if you use will not be applicable given the rapid pace of technology change so that will be my view Maha. excellent now again one more point on the iot space uh, right for for b2b products healthcare products and all that you know the cost of the product itself or the price of the product is high so you know the uh, unit economics for putting um, you know iot tags or iot uh, you know rfid tags whatever whichever type of thing is somewhere it gets um, consumed in the part of the price and it's manageable consumer product companies on the other hand while would they would love to have the type of data coming out of it it's a bit of a unit economic problem if i put it the cost of the product goes up uh, you know what is the value i get against the cost I incur in terms of trying to put RFID tags out, right? I want to put weekends in stores, but I don't know what I will get out of it because the usage could be limited. I want to put RFID tags, but the cost per unit will actually go up for me, right? Um, so do you see the cost of RFID or IoT over a period of time uh, coming down and the consumption and the adoption increasing? Do you see that happening? So I definitely see that happening. You know, anyway, every 18 month, everything goes down by many uh, percentage points and many times. But 
your question i think is more about finding the right market for such products and at the end of the day it's all about for a customer also it's about um, the threshold which makes me a converter into using such device vis-a-vis -vis, uh, i using a you know i can use a toothbrush which is called sony care for our uh, company from our company which does all that huh? so whatever it it tells me what type of and it will give me a warning if i'm not brushing my tooth properly so it's it's the the, the cost is a little higher of course in comparison with the normal ones but then depending on at what age bracket i am and what type of care i want i think anyway everybody is moving towards improving our lives right at some point in time there will be folks who will be interested in improving life and paying that cost for it and that market earlier also existed now also exists so it is always there it's just that um, what trade-off i will make from a cost perspective to acquire that product as a customer and you feel that the uh, you know over a period of time like every 18 months the cost will continue to keep going down and uh, and focus on health will focus on health or lifestyle will ensure continues to increase correct 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 so this is again betting on future huh? so uh, your cost will go down anyway and if i get those attractive features of telling me hey you know what in six months time you need to get a root canal treatment so i will have a better brushing pattern to delay the root canal treatment by another six months that's a huge advantage for me as a person uh, so it is it really depends on what is the what what will be my psychology based on what the product is offering me and if i buy it then that means that you know, i i really like what they offer nice nice moving on um now you know low code no code platforms have started coming in right open ai everybody's talking of open ai right uh, from an area where you know where we came from where we used to use six sigma or statistics you needed to know the uh, why behind the what you are doing in terms of you know applying those uh, analytics or algorithms or whatever right and then it became uh, with uh, neural networks it became almost like a black box where you put in data something comes out you do practical test versus control or train the data and say okay uh, you know as long as i don't have to really explain what is happening in the business seeing the results then it became a bit of a black box right uh, open ai is possibly taking it a little more further right you tell it and it writes a code you apply it so how do you see this future of ai going will it become a lot more context and uh, the tech skills uh, dependence on tech skills reducing over a period of time if the person knows how to ask a question and why he or she is asking a question and the ability to integrate will that become a lot more important uh, than really understanding the uh, substance behind why we are doing it i think the importance of 5y and importance of what is going behind will always be there um but that is what i and you will say if you go to millennials they will have a different viewpoint uh, i think it will be a balance of both so definite definitely the need to understand everything will go down 
the larger question is is that something that we would like our next generation to go is that the right path for them to go it will always be a balance there will always be need for technologists to create these models at the back end and i think algorithm signaling specialists i'm just coining the term now <laughs> or algorithm routing specialists you know those type of new jobs will come up right where which algorithm to use when you know there will be like police uh, you have and uh, uh, police inspectors or those who give direction to uh, traffic right similar type of jobs will uh, come where at the end of the day at least some context of what we are talking about needs to be there otherwise it will be very difficult uh, also one is whether uh, one is whether how much context i need to know but on the other hand you also see there's greater regulatory scrutiny that is coming everywhere so it is not the case that i can go away not explaining what made me create what machine where i am that is going to increase manifold you see that happening across the board you know google cci in india or any other organization any other country what is happening so that is going to increase day by day so the explainability part will never go away maha i think valid point i think explainability for business and then given increasing regulation explain explainability for regulation and government uh, you know bodies will continue to exist so uh yeah so for for uh, data scientists and analysts to be successful i think you're right they will need to have the ability to explain what they're doing they could get away yeah. some yeah and and if i may add one thing maha so see whatever ai that we see now is more around in exact science so if you talk about you talked about chat gpt or open ai and all that right so google it is all based on whatever literature that has written over thousands and thousands of years right you know giant huge machine learning models algorithms being run and really nice answers they give right i have tried myself as well you know really gives better answer than what you ask me i think but <laughs> uh, or i answer uh, whatever question you are asking maha but the problem is when we get into exact sciences if you think of you know auto and the car industry where companies have spent billions and billions of dollars on making a car which is autonomous right the research is still on i'm not saying we've not advanced we've advanced but we've not reached the level where it can happen why because of the thousand parameters and variables and features combination of that makes the world a very complex place so you still have rovers in mars which fail to land right so that is all exact so me putting my hand on the table is much more difficult to predict than uh, uh, reading something in literature and answering a question which what chat gpt said and what i said can be different and tolerance level to say that chat gpt is good is very high in that case because it is not exact so i would say i think of course ai is going lens now but we still have a lot of uh, you know room for uh, moving ahead or making improvements uh, that's interesting so what you're saying is explainability is one reason why context and knowledge is important the other part you're saying is also that 
where low tolerance levels are there, like you know, a, a flight analytics, for example, or autonomous car or whatever, where uh, where the uh, the failure acceptance is absolutely minimal. Uh, you will need a lot more of exact decision sciences compared to something where the tolerance level could be, you know, high. For example, I want to write a content. It's okay if it is here and there, but you know, as long as the sum and substance of what I'm communicating is okay. You're saying those places, the black box types of things or the you know the open AI type of stuff can work. Correct. Interesting. Nice. Okay. Excellent. Now. Uh, so what would be your advice to someone, you know, 18 year old who had to tell you, tell me Shashwata, you know, what should I focus on? If 10, 12 years, 15 years down the line, I want to be, you know, leading analytics or transformation for organization. What are the key skills that I need to develop now? Um, so what would be that be? Curiosity mindset. I think that is what I would say uh, to inculcate a habit of understanding what I'm doing. I think that is the biggest thing. I mean, everything else can be uh, taught, you know, from a, whether it's data science or AI or uh, mechanical engineering, whatever that perspective is and subject is. But I think what is important is that uh, attitude to ask questions and finding out the solutions, not only asking questions, but finding out the solutions, problem solving skills. I think that is what keeps us uh, going and uh, that is what makes us different from a lot of other uh, people, I would say, and keeps us going basically. And, and discovering new things, uh, challenging status quo, I think those are traits which are very important for, um, for a successful, I would say, career, not only analytics, any other career. Sure. I was also uh, reading uh, or listening to one of your blogs or interviews where you spoke of, you know, how standard work can get automated, RPA and AI and uh, all that, right? So uh, how important, and you said that's linear, uh, right? So some of this is very linear. Right? But in the new world where it is VUCA and everything changes very fast, right? Uh, how important will be the ability to have a contrarian point of view or ability to think out of the box? or you know ability to engage with other people uh, and build perspectives uh, right do you, do you see that as a as a need going forward for people because change is happening so fast you can only learn so much i think without contrarian viewpoint uh, world will really become very linear so contrarian viewpoint is a must uh, even to continue the linear path you need friction I mean, even if you think of physics, right? Without friction, there cannot be movement. So friction is very, very important for uh, anything, including in physics and in economics and in uh, workplace as well. So there has to be that healthy environment where there is open uh, culture to speak up and say why. And because that question will stimulate in my head, how do I answer this question? If I'm not able to explain, then my logic or my policy does not stand. At the end of the day, I'm answerable to whether it's my employees or my boss or whoever, right? And hence, it is very important to have a contrarian view. Now, you did mention about linearity. The context in which I made that comment, uh, Maha, was it is very easy to get, use 
these technologies called uh, like RPA when it is linear in nature. Whenever you have, but to get to, and I'm talking about practical situations and practical solutions. Huh? So, of course, it's uh, RPA is buzzword. Everybody says RPA. It's actually not that difficult because it just, uh, you know, models the repetitive behavior and does it. But to get to repetitive behavior, there is a lot of investment of time of a lot of subject matter uh, folks, subject matter experts to really make it a repetitive process, which means that you are actually getting into a discipline mode. You, you are becoming disciplined. And this is what a repetitive process looks like. Uh, so that is one. The challenge is in that space where subject matters are sitting together to create a repetitive process, which becomes RPA enabled. How do we automate that part? That is the bigger challenge. How do we use artificial intelligence to automate that part? And that's what I think some of these technologies are anyway doing, right? In ChatGPT and all that, they are trying to do that, um, or at least with whatever information and literature they have, they are trying to do that. But that is where uh, I think some of these, again, new things that we keep hearing is probably playing, but I need to get that answer. Not yet there yet, uh, Maha. Got it. You also mentioned where I read somewhere that uh, the challenge you see in uh, data analytics or the future of data analytics is how do you integrate diverse viewpoints uh, to get an end-to-end you know, holistic, working solution type of stuff. So can you expand a little more on that? If we come from the same school of thought, same school of philosophy, it is likely that our thought processes and our recommendations will be similar. The subjects where those policies will be implemented can be very different. And hence, policy making should always take into account diverse opinion so that it is 80% correct on the subjects on which this treatment is meted out. And again, by subject, I'm talking about data here, but that is how it is. So it is very important to make sure that we are taking into account a lot of diverse opinion. Of course, the final decision we take, but those viewpoints will strengthen why, what insight is being used in which manner. Got it. And it's also important in taking everybody together towards the solution so that. That is one thing. I mean, I'll give you an example. I think that will become easier. Huh? So, okay. for example, uh, 2005, uh, I was working in the auto sector for. Uh, for uh, HSBC Auto, uh, meaning car, car finance division. Now, uh, we used to use at that point in time, 20 years before, only data which is available within the bank, you know, bank data only, or whatever consumer data that we had. We started using external data as well that time. Recently, huh? we started taking some of the FICO scores and all that that were available that time. And we started seeing the internal models were all giving us very good results in, let's say, uh, I think this was 2007. Uh, results from a reposition perspective or from a collections of overdue perspective, you know, it was very good results if we look at internal data. The moment we started adding auto sector data from FICO, we started seeing, hey, you know what? I see a little bit of risk here. And then when we added a little bit of credit card data as well, we saw that the chances of overdue were increasing. 
and then we kind of took some policies. It was a contrarian view. Huh? So I actually I said, why don't we look at external data as well? Why are we only using you know whatever data? That time it was unheard of people using external data and all that. But we kind of took some risk measures and all that. Uh, and that that bore fruit. You had 2008 uh, crash, right? Sub uh, subprime crisis, right? But we could see that in the data. We we did not know that it is called subprime crisis or whatever it is. Yeah, and it was mortgage market, not the same market. But we could see that already in 2006, 2007 in the uh, worsening of the, uh, you know, dues and all that, you know, those different parameters. So that is why I said contrarian view of accommodating other views most of the times are beneficial only. Of course, you decide whether you will use it or not, right? Sometimes it's spurious correlation as well. No, great example. Sashwata, thank you so much for uh, making time to have a chat with us. It was a pleasure talking to you and really you know, learned from this interaction over the last 40 minutes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mohan. Thanks for inviting me. I also liked the questions. Some of them were googly and uh, you know, uh, in-swing, but uh, that's what thank the challenge you. is. And it's always great to speak uh, with a person like yourself or a leader like yourself, Mahan. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Talk to you. Bye.